1: tika.com.
2: Coming up on
1: Total Access, the locker room. I was like, in my mind, like, are you? <laughs> this is the size of the human beings that I have to block now in the NFL. So, day one, I was already like, okay, I need to go back <laughs> to Central Michigan because I belong <laughs> here.
2: Welcome to NFL Total Access, the locker room. I'm Michael Robinson, and today I'm flying solo without my wingman, head coach, Brian Billett but I've got a great guest coming up and we're going to let you guys in on what players and coaches really talk about inside the locker room today. I'm joined by one of the finest left tackles to ever play the game of football. Right. And one of my former teammates, a former Niner when I was a Niner six time pro bowler, San Francisco, great Joe Staley. Let's welcome Joe Staley to the show. (laughs) What's going on big dog. First of all, uh, um, I know this is I know we threw this on you when we first got on. Um locker room story, dog. We start every podcast with a locker room story, okay? And again, not one of those ones you say on TV. Okay, that's yep. the PG, PGG rated version. We need, you know, PG 13. All right. Not R, but PG
1: 13 on
2: this all show. Right. So what you got?
1: Okay, locker room stories. There's a million to go through. Um, the, a lot of them are R. I say the PG 13 one. Okay, I was just a when came out of, I came from Central Michigan University, yeah. small school was very, very intimidated to be in just a in the NFL. You know, I really? was not kids that yes. I was you didn't
2: seem kids. that way though, bro. You came in with a little personality, maybe because we were sorry
1: as hell at the time, and you know my whole, my we didn't life, know my whole life is a facade. My whole life, but it's been a big facade. No, get that, the that, hell out that, of here, that, man. No it's one needs so cool. to know the real me, and I don't, don't speak <laughs> to the real me. So I came in, Central Michigan, <laughs> yeah. super intimidated to be in the NFL. All right, this is a, two, this is a long story. I just It's talking all about good. My rookie, yeah, my rookie year. Yeah. I get there. I didn't really play anybody that was decent in college and didn't really have any understanding of the size of the human beings I was about to go against in the NFL. So I get there and the first day is the first day, super nervous. You know, my dad's like, Hey, make sure you're on time. You know, yeah. all that like, Michigan, uh, small town mentality, like make sure you're on time and be respectful and show up. So I got there like probably an hour and a half before I had to be there by far the first person in the locker room that day. <laughs> on day one of my whole entire. Ter- <laughs> so I get in there, I'm sitting at my stool, and Isaac Sopawaga comes in, Isaac, who I did not know at the time. And he's a large human being. Isaac, Six foot two, probably 330 pounds and just rocked up. And so he comes in there and i I get up and I'm like, Hey, uh, nice to meet you. Uh, my name is Joe. Uh, just a rookie this year, like super nervous and everything. <laughs> he... he and I'm like, what position you play? And in my mind, I'm like, you know, he's he must be a, a guard or a nose tackle or whatever. Somebody, I you gotta <laughs> block. And he goes, I'm a defensive end. And I was like, in my mind, like, are you kidding me? Are you, are you, am I allowed to swear on this thing? Yeah, man. I'm like, are, you, are you this is the size of the human beings that I have to block now in the NFL? So day one, I was already like, Okay. I need to go back to central Michigan because I, I belong here trying to block 330 pound behemoths. Then fast forward the same exact day. Guess who's the number two person that walks in the locker room.
2: Um, uh, my, uh, who Brian Young.
1: Oh, B-Y. B-Y that's right. We all time. Just. What a here, six pack. What a I'm six pack. <laughs> and He walks in. And I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. And then BY, just one of the greatest human beings. I to yes, spend yeah. one year with him, but one of the greatest human beings I've ever met, still to this day. Just the nicest dude ever, but also intimidating. I didn't know who BY was. And I was like, just giving a look at his size and then comparing it with Isaac Soapwaga's size. And I was like, what the hell did I get myself into? You <laughs> <Does it> expect <laughs> me to be good? You yeah. expect me in the first round to be good? Like, I. I gotta, I gotta tell him like, Hey, I don't know. No, like, man. You won't think about that, man. Then we go to the first team meeting and I don't know if you remember that first team meeting. I do, but it was a first team meeting in of the off season. Uh-huh. You were in there and the whole entire time there was one person. I was like, there's a guy that I got to meet. And then I'm also very scared to meet because of his reputation. And that was Larry Allen. LA. Yeah. Who I knew just because my grandfather was a huge Cowboys fan in the 90s and everything. And he would always tell me about him. And then I was like, yeah. I'm be on the same team as Larry Allen. But he didn't show up until well after the team meeting started. And yeah. I was like, and it
2: was oh, okay. And it was okay. He was it. Yeah.
1: He could do whatever the hell he wanted. Yeah. I learned that after the fact. And so he comes in. Like thirty minutes late in a cutoff basketball jersey because that's all he oh, wore. Oh wait, basketball jersey. He came in and I was like, "Oh man," because coming from Central Michigan, yeah, you know, college. If you were late to a meeting, and I'm sure actually I found out later, if you were late to a meeting in the NFL, it did matter. It only just. I'd found out also it mattered who you were. Who you were, yeah. And and L.A. walked in late, and he was one of those guys that definitely was a who-you-were kind of guy. (laughs) So he walked in and just laughed, and everybody went insane. And then my mind as well went, this is an NFL offensive lineman right here. (laughs) This guy was the biggest human being I had ever seen in my life. Cut Mm -hmm. off, just laughing, Uh, deepest voice. I've ever been a a rook. I'll never forget that. A rook. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That I was that whole first year. I don't know about what you thought of me, but my whole first year, I was probably the most scared and timid human being. I've ever. Joe,
2: we knew we knew you were the future, bro. I was I knew I was probably on my way out there in a few years. Well, but thank you. Because yeah, no, seriously. Tell me this because I, I definitely <laughs> was not thinking I was a future of anything. Yeah. What What about the Bentley L.A. had where he's spitting peanuts and dip and stuff on the floor? It's a Bentley. Oh,
1: on the Bentley, that was also like I think he had custom interior that was like fur. Like he had yes. like he <laughs> had like a million chinchillas that he must have spit <laughs> across his floor and just spitting seeds, everything. Spit on top of that, so as a rookie, you have rookie duties in your rookie year. Oh yeah. And my rookie duties were basically to do whatever they told me and get them you know snacks for the room uh we're going out to dinner you're buying dinner uh you're getting alcohol oh. for the clean. all this stuff all this yeah. typical stuff that rookies do um but also our, our, um a thing that i had to do was to clean up the room after the meetings which was fine because most of the guys weren't messy and they would take their stuff and they would do whatever but la he didn't chew. he didn't like actually like he spit seeds and chewed at the same time i don't know how i yeah. did me neither. Where is it? Right? Where is the room for it It's yeah. a big human being, so he's got a lot of room. So he would also not spit it into like a cup or anything. He would just have a. Piece. This is funny too. So These I also, I was like, wow, Larry Larry Allen still in year fourteen takes great notes because I always saw him like had a piece of paper out oh, and he always had whatever. Well, I found out first day he wasn't even spitting into a cup or anything. He would just spit onto the piece of paper yeah. on his desk and then leave it. <laughs> and so I had to go
2: in there and oh, like, oh, they, they made you do it? Yes. Oh,
1: no, I wouldn't have done that. That was such down. a wuss that I did not even stand up for myself, but also in this moment still as a 36-year-old man and Larry's doing that. Yeah. I don't want anybody to judge me. Larry Allen's the most intimidating person that I still to this day has ever met in my life. Yeah, so,
2: Larry is don't awesome. Judge me, you know, me.
1: Yeah,
2: L- Larry is awesome. I still talk to him from time to time whenever I get a chance to get around him. But this is what I wanted to ask you, Joe. Actually, I've, I've asked Frank Gore this question because, you know, we were teammates there at the same time. It seemed like when I left out of that locker room in 2010, man, y'all made one change. The head coach, Coach Singletary left, Coach Harbaugh came in. And then you're in the NFC championship game, dude. Like, what changed, man? Because I always tell people the talent was already in the locker room. Yeah. You know, uh, Scott McLuhan had built a, a winner. Something changed, though, when, when Jim Harbaugh took the helm.
1: Well, I think it's twofold. I think, like you said, there was already the talent that was there. Mm-hmm. We had already built that roster with McLuhan With through, you know, you got free agents like Justin Smith came, yep. they were dialed in with that system. I mean, we had Delaney Vernon. Like we had the skill guys all Everybody. over the place. Uh, Crab was Crab there? Yeah, Crab was yeah. there, man. Was he was already yeah. there. Too. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> honestly, the, the the talent that we won the games with was already there. Like we weren't leaning on any rookies to get us there. You know, our offensive line. We had we did add Yupati and yep. and Anthony Davis. Um, Boone kind of came into his own. We had a better offensive line um when Harbaugh got there but it was honestly man if I'm looking back on it but Boone it, was already there I played with Boone like but he was just a backup yeah, I mean, he was he was not he was not out he didn't like take it seriously exactly yet. Exactly. Yet. you know he it takes some guys you know a couple of years to kind of like realize the opportunity that they have I, I think it's like when they realize that like oh I can get cut yeah. You know, they don't, they don't, <laughs> they don't owe me a scholarship anymore. <laughs> it was like, good job. They can just cut me. So, I mean, he was coming into his own. He was playing really good football. Honestly, I, I think the thing that changed was that everything, just as far as the talent-wise, like, everybody was hitting their prime at the right time. And then Harbaugh came in there, and we really, like, bought into that whole entire, like, mantra that he had his first year of, like, who's got it better than us? Nobody. Like, all that yeah. stuff. Something
0: special about this team now. Yes, sir. This building. It's building, something remarkable going on here, okay? Yes, our minds played
2: our greatest game out there. Yes, our minds played our greatest game out there. Who's got it better than us? Who's got it better than us? Who's got it
1: better than us? you Year one, everybody loved it. And we all bought in and it was like a complete like, team, like, let's go. Like, this is, doesn't get better than this. Like, everybody, and then, and then we started winning some games. And it kind of just snowballed throughout that. We got to get more and more confidence. And then we believe more and more what the coaches are saying. And that's with any coach, really. But then year two, you know, it was kind of like, all right, this message is the same. And it kind of became like a little broken record. Yep. But we were winning. And we went to the Super Bowl. And so we were like, no one's going to say anything because <laughs> this is awesome. We love winning. Um, and then year three, it was just kind of like, all right. And that's kind of when you started seeing a lot of the locker room division happen. Um, The tone of the locker room just got completely like almost not, it just drowned out. It was weird. It was just a weird, we were still good and we were still in the NFC championship game, but it was like the dynamics in the locker room was completely different than it was his first year to his third year. I
2: don't want to necessarily get into all what happened with Kaepernick, but I just want to, from your perspective, how did the locker room take what was going on with him and kneeling and all of that type of stuff was it a supportive thing was it something where you know the team came together and we, you talked about it and said hey you know what i mean but like how, how did that get digested through the locker room
1: you know what I yeah saying? it was 100 percent. we had a lot of like when we first came out or like when it yeah. first happened i mean we had a lot of like you know you have your your football team structure basically with like We have our, uh, what we call like a leadership Leadership committee or whatever. It's like every guy that's like the veteran dude of a a position group room. And so we all came together um, and we communicated about what was going on and everything. But it all came from like a perspective of A, understanding, you know, because we wanted like everything to go on and we wanted to like understand what the issues were. Because before, you know, it's hindsight 2020, but at the time it was like, what are we raising awareness of and you know there's some guys that had certain feelings about this the anthem and everything about the way to do it but then there was a way to just understand about what was going on and so there was a ton of communication that was done done early on and then from that point on when we got cap's perspective and like what do you want to do it was a hundred percent at least from my perspective and i feel the team as well like supportive of backing him and what he wanted to do and accomplish and getting his message out. So it wasn't divisive on its own, like the media attention. We honestly weren't, I don't know if it was on my part, like being naive, but it completely exploded. Um, Obviously it became a real hot button issue for everybody to talk about all the time. But I think from, you know, it was definitely a, a moment of support. There wasn't any, there wasn't any division in the locker room. Yeah. Um, there wasn't any of that distraction stuff going on. I think some guys maybe wanted to got a little bit tired just of every single question always being about that and where it was like, hey, we address this. We're supportive of this. This is our answer. And, you know, we also need to you know, ask us about football as well. Um, that's what we do, right? <laughs> but it was an image We understood. It wasn't like I mean, we was like naïve to the fact like, hey, we don't want to talk about this. Like, you yeah. understand, you know, that's how you get your message out and how you get your message spread. And, um, you know, as football players, we have a responsibility to bring light to a lot of different uh, issues and injustices that are going out. And I think that's, you know, at the core of it, what that, you know, the initial thing was and, you know, kind of taken, taken on from there. Now, Joe... We
2: just finished talking about Kaepernick, a quarterback that you that you that you had. Now I'm gonna fast forward to Jimmy G. You know I like Jimmy. Jimmy G is a handsome man, man. He looks good back there, quarterback throwing that football, man. But the our old team did make an aggressive move. They traded up to 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 get the number three pick. Why do people doubt Jimmy G so much? Like when he plays, you guys are good. You went to a Super Bowl. Like you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like what's what's all the doubt about? Why? How come? You know? And, and I'm hearing this from fans. Mike Rob, how come they just can't settle on Jimmy G? And that's our guy, like other teams do
1: with their quarterback. I don't want to put out <laughs> anything. I love. Uh, Jimmy to uh, the Super Bowl. He was a quarterback when we went to Super Bowl. But I think one of the things he said was when he plays, and wow. I think you know, I think in any position, you know, if you miss. A lot of games, I think, you know, the old cliche is your best ability is your availability, which is, you know, there's a double-edged sword to that. Yeah. If you're, you know, if you're Tom Brady and Drew Brees, I don't care how often they get hurt, but you're going to still be the starting yeah. quarterback. You know, I think maybe there, that's a little bit of that to do there. I just want to have something that goes on in the a, in a, in a plan. But I think, too, it's um, the way the contracts are structured these days in the NFL, it's you're almost oh. better off at having a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal and kind of building the team around him that way. That's how so, we win it. That's how we win it. And if you look at the quarterbacks that have gone in the NFL and that been in the Super Bowl, I think, I mean, Tom Brady's probably the only one that's not on a rookie deal that has been there. Um, you know, because Pat he never –
2: he never wants to make the highest in the league, though. So, Tom's, to me, is in a whole different category, right? Yeah, but he's,
1: still, but he's still not on a rookie contract, how that's those rookie true. contracts are structured. You know, I think Pat was on his, Mahomes was on his. Um, I mean, he's won it besides Brady and Pat.
2: <laughs> Russell <laughs> he, was on his when we won it. Russell was on his when win. he won.
1: Um, but that's really it. I can't yeah. really think of, <laughs> you know, too many guys. Um I don't know. It's just, um, I think it's just the way the NFL works. You now. I think everybody's kind of looking for a, the newest and greatest. And, you know, I think the one thing too, is that Kyle, and I think any head coach wants this, especially when you're such an offensive minded guy like Kyle Sagan is, is that it would love to kind of handpick his own guy. And I think just looking from my perspective, I haven't really been paying a ton of, uh, you know, of attention to what's going on, but it seems like there's a lot of great quarterback options out there this year in this year's draft. So um, now I'm sure they're obviously they are excited about probably three of them if they're trading up to three. They got three guys that they think are, you know, they're handpicked guys that they could, you know, go and for the next four or five, six years, you know, be very, very competitive out. And then you look at the roster built up. I mean, Fred Warner's coming up for a huge contract. Nick Bosa's coming up for a huge contract. Um, you can't have, you know. Ninety percent of your your contract in three guys, you know. So yeah. if you on Jimmy's uh, contract, is this the way the NFL is these days?
2: So. Good, I, I know what you're talking about, man. You're talking about business. That's the business side yeah. that oftentimes
1: people don't always talk about. But you mentioned not, I, I say this like a lot of times fans get they think it's just Madden all the time you know, yeah. like it's is plug and play, like forced trades, like all that stuff. But that ain't the case. There is a huge business side of it. And I think Niners obviously are in a great situation with their contract negotiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he upset me so much when I was playing, you know, <laughs> Brock, Yeah, but he's one of the best that he's a um, you know, salary cap stuff under, under the cap and making sure that they're all dialed in. He's kind of a mad yeah. genius with the way he kind of worked and, and you know, dials in those contracts. So, um, I mean, there's a lot behind the scenes as far as business goes, and it's not even the fact that they just don't like them, you know. Yeah. I think it's just business.
2: It's just business, man. Now, you mentioned Kyle Shanahan, right? Talk about his play-calling style or, or just his offense, man, because I ain't going to lie, uh, Joe. I think from a from a leverage standpoint, I'm not sure there's another play-caller that out-leverages a defense uh, a, a better than Kyle Shanahan. Just talk about his play calling style. Uh, I've heard that he likes to let you guys know his thinking. You know what I mean? So that you guys are excited about the plays he's going to call that week. Just talk about Kyle Shanahan a little bit.
1: Yeah, he's, uh, as far as I was in this understanding of defense and how a defense wants to defend and how he can best attack that defense. I've never met anybody better. I mean, it was very evident early on is that how he structures his offense. It's not just like, one thing is that a lot of coordinators will be like, this is our system, we're running it, and it's going to be successful no matter what. Yeah. Like Kyle has a wide variety. It's like a wide zone scheme, but we have a wide variety. And not say we, I'm not playing. Yeah. Now, but <laughs> It's all good, man. I they have a wide variety of styles and ways to do the wide zone scheme. So if, like, for example, a defensive end wants to play a wide nine technique and really, like, keep everything in he has different combination blocks that he'll set up between the attack or between the tight end and the fullback to make sure that they can still get that stretch and it's all about stretch it's all about really getting that second level linebackers to run to run and run and run and if they are sitting there flat-footed and they're able to play their gaps in the middle of the defense then a lot of this stuff doesn't work as well and I think you saw that I mean that's why he Raheem, Raheem is such a great running back for that system because he is so fast at the edge and he runs so fearless Mm -hmm. that it is paramount for those guys to, you know, get that stretch. Those linebackers have to run. And when they run, then that's when his like play action stuff, all that stuff, the Kittle in the middle of the field, he, he will get guys out of position and then immediately take advantage of them. Mm. Overplaying stuff. And um, that was one of the coolest things, too, is like he would say in our, like, he'd strip our first 20, 25 mm-hmm. plays and he would run a play at like third play of the game and be like, we're probably going to get two yards of this. But I don't. Set it up. He's like, we're running this play, like the seventh play. And he's like, all right, we ran these two plays. If you guys run it right, you come off with the right speed and everything we've done, play tens to touchdown. Uh. And How many times did he hit? How many it, times it, it, did it hit? Exactly, it would be like exactly <laughs> right. Really? You are, like, you have to I mean, he still says, like, the way he installs his run stuff, too, is like, I don't really care about your technique. What I care about is speed. And so, like. Oh, man, that's he, freedom. Yeah, but he was that's like. Freedom. So that's why, I mean, Trent is so good. And they were able to get a left tackle in there because he needs that speed on the run game. Like, threaten that defensive end. So the linebacker now is threatened because he's out of the gap. So he's overrunning. Everything is just like, he wants the defense to be panicking. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's so no, exciting. I like, his offense is awesome to play in.
2: Well, I, and I love that you were talking about the run game, man. Cause obviously i play fullback, you're a tackle, you know, we love to run the football. Do you ever feel slighted some? And when I say that, check me out though, Joe, Uh, when you went to the Super Bowl a while back with Frank Gore and those guys, Frank ran the ball damn near down to the seven-yard line. Yeah, he thrown, And then you look at the other Super Bowl with Kansas City, you had Tyron Matthew come out after the game and say, man, I'm glad they stopped running the ball because we probably would have lost. You ever feel like, damn, man, if we just would have ran the football, I might have two Super
1: Bowls sitting here right now. I definitely think the first one. Yeah. (laughs) I think we definitely would have had one if we won that one If we ran that one um yeah. still haven't gotten over that
2: I know man it's, I
1: know I will say this that we did have a run called in that Super Bowl it was a second down and from the five or four and we ran uh-huh. quarterback power yes so but they called we had to call a timeout because the play got in so late and but that, that was, was the was it. whole offense and defense actually ran the play and we didn't hear the whistle till after and it was a walk-in touchdown Oh so that, man. that, that gotta good. hurt dog. <laughs> you know I, know I actually saw I saw Justin Smith and Daniel Kilgore this past weekend. Okay. I was at a wedding and we just kept on saying that we all were over. We <laughs> Justin lost Super Bowl, Kilgore lost one with Kansas City oh, this damn. last day, so he was over two and I was over two. So we're just we said if we ever bought a boat, we're just going to put 0 for 2. 0 for 2.
2: <laughs> That'd be sweet, man. All right, so look, uh, Coach Billick is usually with me on, on on the podcast, but he does have a message. Let me get it right. I, I'm going to read it to you. Okay. The Ravens wanted to, dra- wanted to draft you, uh, but Billick's old defensive coordinator screwed him up, talking about, um, talking about um, oh, the coach that draft. Come on, man. Nolan. Give me the head coach that his old. No, it's yeah. Coach Nolan. There you go. There you go. Coach Nolan. Um, how does it feel knowing you could have had a super bowl win instead of two super bowl losses? Because, because you know, Baltimore you know picked you up, who's to say, maybe
1: I would have been the reason why the brave man get player.
2: out of here, man. <laughs> Stop killing
1: yourself, Joe. Come on, <laughs> man. Speaking <laughs> you know of that, uh, I don't know how the heck they got those guys blocked Alden Smith. I actually talked to him the other day, too. He, really, he was a freak. Yes, were were you there when he was there? So, when he first got there, there, no,
2: I I was gone, but I had to block him a lot of times and I missed a lot. The dude was long, bro. He never let you get into his body. Ever. I hated blocking him. I hated blocking him, dog. So, um,
1: I will say this I was going, so I I knew that I was going to be, I didn't know, but I had a feeling I was going to get picked by the Ravens at 29. That that joke. you did? You had a feeling that the Ravers were coming in? Yeah, they um, – because the – I don't know. Someone there said, like, to my agent, they said, hey, if Joe's still there at 29, he's, he's our pick. And God, It was
2: Coach Billett. <laughs> and he, he's our pick. So,
1: I have an uncle that lives in in Baltimore – Baltimore area, and, you know, I'm not going to get into this story. Because why <laughs> What?
2: You were right there, man. You might see it. You might see it. You know, I, okay, I, it. He right I was like, right? oh,
1: no, I'm going to be right next to him. <laughs> you got I to was my fire myself up to be there, but I was like, oh, he's going to be over all the time. <laughs> so when San Francisco traded up, I would be, I was like, "Ah." yes,
2: honk ain't coming by my crib out here, man. You're going to be over all the
1: time. I love you, Uncle Jim, but you know you're going to be over at my house every single day. Hey, Joe,
2: Thank you for coming by, man. This was awesome, man. They're telling me we got to run, man. But we could talk all day about stuff. And, and, and I want to say before we go, Coach Mike Nolan, I know I might have forgot your name uh, for, for a second, but he definitely he brought me into the league. He brought you into the league, Joe. So we're definitely grateful for yeah. Coach Nolan. That'll do it for this week's uh, episode of Total Access to Locker Room. Joe, thanks for stopping by, big dog. You got to do this a little bit more often, okay? Yeah, I'd love I to. Mean- you 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 were retired now. You got to get into your media side, man. Come join me, big dog. Nothing, so, to do. you, Not- <laughs> nothing to do. Nothing to do. I
1: know you're running solo right now. I know. Coach I know.
2: One. Well, Coach Billick on TV, man, but that's all good. It's all good. That'll do it for this week's episode of Total Access to Locker Room. For more insight with the Locker Room Point of View, check out the latest episodes every Wednesday and Friday on Apple and Spotify.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired. Green Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit dexcom.com slash compatibility.